0: Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Today's podcast is a little bit different from what we have produced in the past because this was the first opportunity for myself and Jonathan to join a face-to-face presentation uh, at a conference in over two years. So we went to the Lakeland Conference in Tokyo and presented some of our work there. I also presented with uh, a colleague who has also been featured on the podcast, uh, Dr. Aaron Hahn, and was able to reconnect with a group of people who, unfortunately, I had not been able to see for the last couple of years. And I think we got some interesting takes on what it means to present, and uh, what it means to prepare for a conference as we come back to what I guess we should best call the new normal. So without further ado, I'll start presenting the uh, interviews that I conducted. And hopefully this is something that we can continue to do when we go to conferences in the future, because I guess For me and also for Jonathan and for many of you, the aim is to get back in contact with as many people as possible and continue with our careers. So here is our first interview. Okay, so I'm speaking uh, with uh, Dr. Howard Brown and uh, as we're speaking, we're actually looking over a a marvelous vista of a park. and. also also the highway, so uh, hopefully some inspiration like uh, tradition and modernity going on here. But uh, could you give us some introduction to what you will be speaking about at, uh, in your presentation today?
1: Sure, um, so I have been researching English media instruction programs for a long time now. And I became interested in um, who's teaching in these programs and who the teachers are. Um, And so I got access to a database of jobs that were posted on the JREC in portal. Uh, And I looked at the trends over about 195,000 jobs that were posted um, between 2002 and 2021 and sort of pulled out um, how many of those were EMI related and uh, the trends with how those jobs are being advertised and what universities are looking for from EMI professionals.
0: And although this might be a bit of a spoiler alert, um, what were your findings? Uh,
1: My findings were that um, EMI-related positions are a lot more common than I had thought. Uh, About 13, 14% of all job ads are requiring some sort of EMI qualifications. Which leads me to believe that a lot of EMI teaching is peripheral. Mm. There aren't that many people being hired to teach full on EMI. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people are being hired to teach mostly Japanese medium classes and mm. one or two EMI classes as a peripheral part of their work.
0: Is there any concern about that in terms of it being a, uh, people are being hired? deceptively they're not um advertising the courses or the jobs correctly
1: no they are being advertised correctly um it's just i don't think universities are looking for people specifically to teach emi Hmm. i think they're recruiting japanese medium instruction faculty who can also teach an emi class if they have to and just
0: as a little bit of a a background from your experience what would be uh an example of a, a good EMI teacher like uh, not just the ability to teach in the subject but also to teach in English uh, are there any other qualifications that you think make someone a good EMI teacher?
1: I think sensitivity to the students needs very often we frame the discourse of EMI teachers in terms of the teachers language proficiency mm. but I think um, a more important factor is the teacher's sensitivity to the student's language proficiency mm. because here in Japan um, the EMI classes are predominantly filled with domestic students or international students who are not native speakers of English. Right. So everyone involved is using their second language mm-hmm. and the sensitivity to that I think is a very a key
2: factor.
0: Okay, and as, as a final question, do you have any kind of predictions about where the field is going to go? Do you think universities will start to change their hiring practices? or Require further proficiencies that they've not been listing so far.
1: I think we're actually reaching a a bit of a a stable period, Mm. and I think right around two thousand fifteen. And I'm going to go into this in the presentation, but right around two thousand fifteen, the EMI sector, if you want to call it a sector in Japan, matured in some ways, and and we entered a period of stability. Mm. And I don't think much is going to change from now on. I think we're we're at not necessarily peak EMI, because that Im- implies things are going to fall off later, mm-hmm. but I think we're we're at sort of the height of where EMI is going to be for the long-term future.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much, Howard, and I wish you the best for your presentation today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Okay. okay. So you find us here with uh, Kent Jones from Ritsumeikan Asia-Pacific University, who's not presenting today, but has come along to uh, revel in uh, a face-to-face presentation for the first time in a while. Yes, that's right. I'm here for moral support. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, could you give us some background to... We were just talking about uh, a recent project that mm. you started working on with uh, teaching assistants.
3: Yes, that's right. So um, so basically, the um, the project that I'm doing is, uh, is about TA identity construction. Because um, the reason why I wanted to do this was because... Um, the TAs in the, in the university that I'm working at, um, they are, of course, high-level English speakers, but they are not necessarily, well, they're, they're not, I, I wouldn't even say that they're not native speakers. I'd say that they're, um, they generally come from uh, outer circle uh, English-speaking countries, or, um, as opposed to sort of the inner circle um, countries which teachers most typically come from. And um, so, I was very interested to know their stories and and just basically how they feel um, about uh, teaching English, um, coming from that background.
0: Mm. And uh, do you have any do you have any idea about where uh, this might go? Like, uh, is this going to change the way that TAs are used? Is it going to change the way that TAs are trained? Do you have any kind of uh, like predicted outcomes
3: well I think that it's it's very much sort of a grounded theory approach that we're taking um, in a sense like so we're, we're sort of getting the, um, the TAs to to talk about their experiences and uh, and their perceptions of their role and then we'll just we're just gonna see what themes come out of that
0: hmm. so how long have you been working with uh, teaching assistants uh, up to this point
3: um yeah it's i've it, it's been quite a while actually a good four or five years now um i think because um actually in an earlier um podcast uh we talked about um a uh, project that i did in 2018 about reforming the ritsumeikon asia pacific university's ta program um that was a, a paper that was that was published um uh, mm. and we actually um we inter we had an interview about that mm. um, on, on the podcast. So you've know, been inter- basically been working with TAs for uh, for quite a long time um, as a, a as a training coordinator. Mm. Yeah, so I've been working as the training coordinator at APU for for four years. Sort of two years is in, in an unofficial capacity, and uh, in the past two years, I've actually I'm one of the main coordinators of the program.
0: And for people who don't know or haven't listened to the previous podcast, mm. TAs in uh Ritsumik and APU are used in a slightly different way, almost in a like a, a, a co-teaching role where you uh, give them more tasks than just collecting papers or, uh, you know, taking attendance. Mm. Uh, is it your hope in the future that this model of using teaching assistants would be adopted more widely in Japanese universities? I think so. Yeah, I mean, especially at universities where
3: um, international students are, because I think that um, one of the the uh, the biggest challenges with uh, English education in Japan is um, is just the monoculturalism mm-hmm. of Japan. You know, the the, the really homogeneous classrooms, and uh, and very often the um, just just the the atmosphere of the class for the students seems unnatural because mm. they're basically being asked to speak english which for the most part they're not that good at <laughs> to to <laughs> uh, other people who can mm. they can mm. easily communicate with in japanese so it's just kind of an awkward situation for them and um and when you get that other person from another culture uh, coming in it really sort of brings that out in them the need to use English, or like how English can be an effective tool for global mm. communication. Yeah, they, and, do, they do tend
0: to be more role models and... Exactly, and that's the
3: way that we want to use them. So like you were talking about the typical sort of stereotypical idea of the TA as somebody who takes attendance and collects papers. Mm-hmm. And um, in a way, I guess, we' we've, we've talked about this before that we might maybe want to rename them not not teaching assistants but more like language assistants mm-hmm, or English assistants um, because that's pretty much what they are that the, the idea is to uh, to facilitate uh, communication and also to bridge the gap a bit between the teacher and the students
0: mm. um, yeah because after all they are peers right absolutely and, right mm-hmm. absolutely right well thank you very much for your time today yeah. Kent and I hope you enjoy the presentations that you're going to see today all right thank you Chris. so I'm uh, here now with Bill and Charlie who are uh, tasked with organizing and curating and uh, chaperoning people around today Absolutely. so just a little bit of uh, background given that we're all back in face-to-face conferences, sure. Um, what have, what's been your experience of uh, organizing this conference?
4: Um, for me, it's sort of fun ride, so to speak, because uh, past year and a half or even two years, everything was online. Mm. So we literally lost the you know hu- human interaction, you know face-to-face conversation, and other good part of communication, uh, in-person communication. But at the same time, organizing back those uh, um, in-person events was a little tough because uh, we got used to all those online really quick. Mm. But back in those uh, in-person organization, organizing events was a little tough. We have to kind of revisit the memory of our own minds, Mm -hmm. you know. How we used to manage all those you know name Mm. tags or all those like little (laughs) things we have to prepare so it was a little tough but uh, as we go along the line we kind of start to you know um, memorize and uh, remember how things were back in the day Mm. so yeah it's been a fun ride
0: so would fun ride be the best way that you'd um explain what's been going on yeah i would i would
2: i would echo bill's bill sentiment here in in comments um you know uh in a in a humorous way one of the more challenging parts of organizing it was to bill's point trying to bring back the notes of how we did this two years ago <laughs> um, you know where where did i keep those files uh, was, was kind of the biggest challenge um, but other than that i would say you know coming back to, to in-person conferences and and uh, uh, in-person working university it hasn't been that big of a challenge you know we were thankful that so many people are, are uh, following our different campus policies that we have you mm-hmm. know Going back to, to your point for in-person conferences, um, coming back into the game now, you know, we do wanna make sure that people are masked and we wanna make sure that they're taking their temperatures before they come in and um, things like that. So we're, we're, we're doing our absolute best here at LUJ to manage the situation rather than just blindly keep it online forever, right? Um, so we're doing our best to manage it and we've had great cooperation from our student body, from our employees here at LUJ and of course from all the participants today. So. Um, the other thing I would echo that, that Bill had mentioned, maybe build upon uh, for one more point is that you know having these conferences in person, it really does allow for a whole other layer of, of communication and interaction mm. with, with other people. You know, For the last two years we've done these, the, uh, this is our eighth annual conference, but for the last two years, numbers six and seven, uh, they were virtual 100% and presentations can go forward and we can listen to them and we can have a good online conference. but. I think the participants here, just seeing them talk with each other and group together and, and have conversations and talk about each other's careers in the last year, mm. in between the sessions and before the sessions and things like that, is, is really nice to see. So, can you give us
0: can you give us some kind of behind the scenes and uh, preparing for a conference? I've I've never been part of a committee uh, ah, prepared sure. for a conference. So, um, what what's the what's the procedure for you know selecting who's going to present? Uh, do you get any special requests that put, you know, some stress on your time?
2: Sure, so uh, Roger Grabowski is actually the, kind of the head uh, leader of, of um, the, the global conference, Conference on Global Higher Education. He's been running this by himself for about eight years now, we're organizing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we organizing it. People like Bill and myself and other faculty and, and administrative staff here at LUJ, we certainly joined that, that project team to make sure that things work smoothly. Um, But I know that he starts, he begins soliciting um, and and, and receiving abstracts from from presenters um, sometimes almost like the week after the previous years has been done, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we pretty much know the dates early on and and we'll open up the website as early as possible. Um, So the the website for the conference on global higher education, Participants from all over the world, and, and here in Japan, can submit their abstracts through the website. It goes through a faculty committee that we have here mm. for the conference that reviews the abstracts and, and deems them appropriate, so to speak. Mm. Um, I think they all are. Yeah. <laughs> um, no inappropriate submissions, but you know, just make sure that it follows within the, the theme of the year and things like that. Um, and so we do have a faculty committee uh, as well as our dean who reviews the abstracts and thanks the people who submitted them and says absolutely we'll mm. schedule for a certain time and uh, I think this year was the first one where we had to add the question will you be presenting from you know virtually or will you be here in person? I think mm. the majority are in person. Um, there are some a few people who weren't able to get visas right to come in from right. overseas mm-hmm. and things like that. So yeah there is a, a kind of a process to that kind of the checks and balance process mm. of making sure that the abstracts come in on time and that they're peer reviewed that we communicate with the uh, the submitter. Uh, the presenter um, to make sure that everything looks good. Uh, we also do collect um, anywhere between one month or twelve months to a month up to the conference time um, abstracts and proposals from our own LUJ faculty, mm. um, and those also go through the own the, the same kind of review process as well. Mm. Well, yeah. I,
0: as a as a final question, I was speaking mm-hmm. to uh, Bill beforehand. You've been working here for six months. Yes, is that right? Uh, why do you think that uh, Lakeland? I mean, this is the eighth year Mm -hmm. and I see many uh, repeat presenters Mm -hmm. people coming back year after year what do you think makes this conference so popular?
4: I would say um, because Lakeland University here in Japan we've been here over 30 years and with a culture mixture of Japanese culture and uh, all sorts of you know Western standards or uh, American culture and all the other different cultures here, you know, over thirty years. We kind of, I think we're being an uh, like entity that welcomes different people, different culture, and welcome them and being hospita- you know, providing hospitality to all of, all kinds of people. And we because we have been doing that for over thirty years. I think we naturally uh, welcomes different people and uh, that makes uh, participants or the guests or even the students kind of feel want to come back every time.
0: Well, as someone, I mean, I think this is the fifth time that Mm -hmm. I've been here. So as someone who keeps coming back, I I think I would agree with you there. So thank you very much for your time today. Uh, So I've been speaking with uh, Bill Kurata and Charlie Charlie Stockman. Stockman. So thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. Okay, so. Our next interview guest is uh, Jonathan Schachter, who you may remember from previous podcast interviews and also as a fellow interviewer for the for the podcast. So this is actually the first time that we've done a face to face presentation together. Um, Looking out on this marvelous vista outside Lakeland University. uh, How are you feeling? Should I keep my mask on? Uh, you don't have to. All right, I'm going to take my mask off. Okay.
5: All right, is, that gonna, is that a political statement?
0: Uh, I, I doubt it. <laughs>
5: uh, yeah, this is great. Uh, as we were talking last night, the first time you and I got together for like a beer mm. in e- two years. Just
0: Yeah, more than two years. yeah. Uh,
5: so it feels like back to normal. This trip's been awesome. Getting here was great. Our hotel is just a couple blocks away. Building's beautiful. Excited. First face-to-face com- conference in like, two years.
0: Right, and could you give us a, a little bit of a breakdown about what we're going to be talking about this uh, in our presentation today?
5: Yeah, so uh, for those of you that have been following the podcast, I I was doing a master's degree. I've since finished it, and I interviewed some heavy hitters in the field, Peter McIntyre, Kim Knowles, Ali al Hori, Sarah Mercer, Tammy Gregerson, and... Essentially, the thread that we're talking about today is a comment that Ali al brought up in one of his interviews, and his interviews are great. I think I've interviewed him three times, so people should go back and listen to those, where he was talking about this idea of applied linguists doing psychology research. And his, his thought process was, well, should people really be doing psychology research if they don't have a psychology degree? So that's the way the, the thread kind of started. And uh, like I said, I talked to Peter McIntyre, who has a a PhD in psychology, Kim Knowles, who has a PhD in psychology, and then you have Ali al Hori, who's an applied linguist, and Sarah Mercer, who's an applied linguist, and Tammy Gregerson, who's an applied linguist. Um, Since then, actually, Sarah Mercer has gone back and got a a degree in psychology. So I interviewed all of um, these people, and we went back and we looked at the, the thread and the themes and this discussion that happened via podcast, which is kind of exciting. Um, and now, I guess, from from what you're doing now, it's like we can get back to getting in the thick of it at conferences, which is something you and I have talked about may, for many, many months. Um, so I guess I can ask you, how's it going so far? Uh,
0: um, m- interviewing people. Uh, it, it's it's going well. I, I've uh, spoken already to uh, a presenter, uh, and not only including yourself, but also some of the organizers about you know going back from online to face-to-face and if it's changed any of their uh, activities that they have to do uh, I for one agree with you I'm very very excited to be back uh, in person and um, and going forward is this something that uh, we're going to be doing regularly traveling to various places maybe once every couple of months or so I think it's a great idea
5: um, again this is our first one back so I guess we can start thinking, I know we had made plans before uh, about maybe doing some some meetup events with past guests, some social events, or maybe doing a live podcast as a presentation. Even like the man on the street interviews you're doing right now, those are kind of fun. Mm. Uh, I know if I was at home and I, was, and, I, and I haven't been able to go to a conference yet, hearing this sort of interview would be kind
0: of exciting, so
5: I think at the very least, these man on the street interviews that you're doing,
0: those are pretty cool. I completely agree, and uh, I mean we, we do have some upcoming presentations that we that we spoke about, uh, and also these other events that we'd like to be doing. So uh, we're already in year number three of the podcast. Uh, thoughts? Do you think it's going strong? And uh, you know, any ideas for the future?
5: Yeah, um, I think it's going very strong, as you and I uh, talked about yesterday, perhaps we're going to take a little bit of a break Mm -hmm. in August, Mm. um, because I don't know about your school, but a lot of colleagues are going back home for the first time in two years, Exactly. so I'm getting the impression a lot of people aren't going to be catching up on academic podcasts (laughs) when they're out on the beach or visiting their family, so we're thinking this is a good time to take a little bit of a break. Um, I have a really exciting interview that's lined up for our first episode back in September, um, so I'm, I'm assuming this episode is going to come out before August, right? Oh, uh, yes. Okay. So yeah. And then you and I, um, we're, we're definitely going to be going to Taiwan. Um, so we can meet up with some people there and then maybe we, we've talked about maybe going to Kyoto. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, look out for us, uh, uh, at, at different conferences and presentations and reach out, send us an email, citations at gmail.com. Tell us where you're going to be. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and again, thank you to all the previous guests who have come on the show. I'm wondering if it's going to be harder to book desks, uh, not desks, I'm wondering <laughs> booking desks is, is its own challenge. It's pretty tough. I, I wonder if it's going to be harder to book guests now that people are going to be more busy, right? That was, the, that was kind of our <laughs> shtick where it was harder for people to say no, it, but now they can say no. So yeah. I'm wondering, uh, so for those of you that have come on the show and future guests, please continue to say yes.
0: I, I echo that and I do hope that uh, we still keep getting the high quality of talent uh, that you and I have managed to attract so far. So uh, uh, yeah, we're recording this before our presentation, so I hope everything goes well. It's been a while since we've been in room actually looking in people's eyeballs when uh, giving a presentation. So. Um, Yeah, good luck to us.
5: Yep, I I hope it goes well. And if it doesn't go well, no one will know because it's not recorded.
0: (laughs) They'll just know this, this went well. That's a good point. Uh, Well, uh, if you're listening to this later, it was fantastic. Perfect. Absolutely. Thank you very much. No (laughs) glitches. Thanks, John. Thank you. So you find us once again on the deck uh, on the sixth floor of the Lakeland University building. And I'm speaking to uh, Alessandro Grimaldi from Reitaku University. And uh, we actually had the pleasure of sharing a presentation space today. We did. Um, Could you give us a little background to your work and, uh, you know, what motivated it?
6: Sure. Um, Yeah, my my primary research interest is, um, uh, right now, educator well-being. um, Looking at how not only international educators, but primarily international educators in Japan um, looking at their adjustment to their university positions how things like their work engagement and um you know the the institutional support they receive how that affects you know, their long-term commitment to their, their universities and ultimately um yeah how that can come to maybe maybe affect how they do their jobs in the classroom so
0: and where does this come from like like what is your mm-hmm. kind of uh, educational academic background oh
6: sure um i uh t- was with the um, University of Liverpool School of Psychology, and I got my Master's in Organizational Psychology with them, and I think the main motivation for this just came from um, just uh, seeing the struggle of teachers adjusting to, you know, adjusting culturally, Um, you know, you have this international community coming together, and yeah, just the struggle to adjust to the job and all the factors that deal with it.
0: What would you say is your intended outcome mm. for your work? Is there something that you would like to happen uh, institutionally mm. among the faculty, among the students? Uh,
6: definitely. I mean, I think the long-term outcome is to have some research, you know, evidence-based um, interventions or, or plans that university administrators can use to, um, you know, really help themselves. I, I see it as helping themselves. Um, and uh, by improving the well-being, um, improving the integration of international faculty into the universities, um, and what what are the techniques that work um, for for those educators.
0: And, and in your own life, in your own career, if it's okay to ask, yeah, uh, yeah. what kind of techniques do you use to improve your own uh, social professional well-being?
6: Mm, I, I think... Um, know I talked a little bit about this in the presentation is um, you know understanding what you can affect what you can affect and, and, and in, in my opinion I mean the the main thing I can affect is you know the personal resources I have so for example how I approach situations um, how I frame you know for example um, you know frustrations that I have um, how important are they really um, and then also where I can influence the work culture that I'm in right now, you know, uh, you know, really create uh, um, the work culture uh, that I want to see. So, you know, sharing information, sharing research ideas, um, not having a high degree of competition, um, and just being supportive to each other. Mm. That's a big point.
0: Yeah. And so, finally, I mean, we've spoken a little bit with other interviewees today about this topic, given that it's um, for many of us, it's our first face-to-face presentation yeah, that yeah, we've right, done in, right, in right, right. several years. Uh, was there anything different about your preparation today than you did when they were held over Zoom?
6: Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um, actually, uh, no, hmm. um, no, not, not really. Um, I think I actually prepared more on Zoom. I I felt really comfortable. It seemed more simplistic actually Mm. coming back here because I knew, okay, I'm going to be standing in front of a group of people. I don't have to worry about technical issues um, as much. Um, So I would actually say it was much more pleasant. It was was really, yeah, a little easier.
0: Well, uh, uh, as this interview is happening after we've done our session, I would agree that it was a lot more pleasant and uh, it was nice to actually see people's faces and. you know, hear their, hear their voices in uh, real time. So um, yeah. thank you very much for your time today, uh, you. Alessandro. And uh, I look forward to hearing more about your work in the future. Thank you. So you find me here with uh, Roger Grabowski, the, uh, the ringmaster of today's fantastically organized circus. Um, as usual, the conference appears to have been a great success. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, uh, just a little something about your... Your process this year versus you know in previous years when it was online.
7: Well, there have been a few things happening here. One, of course, is that two years ago we just canceled the whole thing, and then last year it was a hundred percent online. And uh, you know, host- hosting the conference online gave us a little bit of practice for for doing that, right? Mm-hmm. For hosting Zoom rooms and uh, for for you know, making a list of, of Zoom, Zoom addresses and Zoom links and, and all the, the mechanics of the monster that is Zoom. Um, but what I it didn't even really occur to me until pretty, very recently, like the last couple of weeks, is how much of this has been very new because in our old facility, we had done it a number of times. So we were kind of able to use some of the same materials and use some of the same mm. processes. And uh, kind of, r- obviously it's, it's a different conference every year and the attendees are different and the present- presenters are different, but mm. the facilities were the same and we mm. used the same rooms and we kind of had the same procedure for doing this. But in the last couple of weeks, it's like, oh, wait, oh, wait! I don't know how to do that. Or oh, we got to make a whole new set of signs for that. And we wait, where are we going to do that? Mm. Um, and you know, our university has also—it's uh, kind of a long story—but uh, we, in almost exactly two years ago, we became independent from our Japanese uh, partners. So the a lot of the the university has been reorganized as well, and so that just meant administratively for me, who do I talk to, whose responsibility is this, mm. who's going to do this now? So it's been it's been a lot of uh, redoing things that we used to do a different way, which stinks in some ways, but now we've done it once and next year will be 100% easier.
0: So we talked last year, and I do recommend people to go back and uh, take a listen to that interview, because we talked a lot about the, the background to why you started this conference. Um, Given the change in circumstances and also how you've seen it bounce back this year, are you still as enthused for the conference going forward?
7: Yes. Had you asked me that (laughs) eight days ago, I might have given a different answer. But especially now, so Chris has caught me after uh, three full panels of the day and I've sort of uh, remembered why it's, uh, it's worth it, right, to see... So many people come together, uh, and um, you know, sort of, all everybody who who cares about education and cares about higher education, and to come together and do such a good job of sharing their ideas, mm. and that makes it worth it. Um,
0: well, then, just to kind of follow up on that, how motivated were you? Because still, some conferences this year are staying online. Mm-hmm. Um, how important was it for you to make sure that there was at least this face-to-face? Um, kind of you know in inverted commas new normal of a a conference how motivated were you given the fact that you had experience doing it the other way
7: I think to be honest if we were still in our old location my motivation might have been different (laughs) but uh, you know we're in a a nice uh, new location where it's been it's not a new building but the facilities that we're in have been built very recently for Lakeland University and it's a it's a pretty nice facility and so I think that uh, I and not just not just myself but also um, some of the school administrators felt if, if there's any way we can get people in here and actually utilize the the facilities that we have then we should we should go for
0: it how much of this conference is a promotional activity for the university or is it kind of a um, something that is done as a concurrent activity that the students can participate in like um how do you sell this to your um to the people higher up that this is an important event that lakeland should continue to 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 host
7: Uh, that's interesting i i guess when when we started it when the the, the sort of co-founder carl gabrielson and i started this we still were working with our japanese partners and part of it was we did kind of have to sell it to them mm. um and of course the primary motivation was to have an academic conference and to um, to, to you know be, be have a place where colleagues from other universities and our university could share their their ideas and their research but then Initially, yeah, we, we absolutely Highlighted how good it would be for the school to have because we're such a we're such a very very small institution to have people from You know all, all over Japan come and know who we are and and see what happens at our school mm. and since then we haven't really had to sell much of anything to anybody and um, you know it's not like we're flying in keynote speakers from <laughs> North America or Australia or Europe or anything and we're not it's it doesn't cost I at least I assume it doesn't cost a whole lot of money um, to, uh, lay out from the school but uh, but it's it's a, a nice event all around
0: and to help me with my uh, application to the conference next year yes, <laughs> I'll, I will be back uh, any thoughts on what the themes might be for future conferences? Or are you going to keep it on global education? or
4: I, I
7: think that just based on the feedback that I've gotten, including somebody just a couple minutes right before this interview was telling me that uh, a lot of people feel that it, it sort of fits in a little niche that a lot of presentations wouldn't fit into at places like, like JALT or other conferences. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously, I think we talked about this last time, it's it's intentionally broad hmm. in a way. It's 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 not like well, there's 30 presentations just about extensive reading or just <laughs> about um, some kind of administrative issue. So I haven't thought about 2023 yet, <laughs> but um, it's probably gonna, for at least a, a while, it'll stay on the, the same track. I
0: Yeah, well, uh, you know, you'll probably sleep better for a few weeks after this one, (laughs) but knowing you, you'll uh, you'll start thinking about twenty twenty three at some point. So pretty soon. uh, I I hope that um, I can be back here next year. And thank you again for uh, allowing me to be here and also for interviewing you. So we've been speaking to Roger Grabowski, and uh, I hope that you enjoy the post conference festivities as much as you deserve to.
7: Thank you very much. I'll do my best to make that happen. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: Okay, so you find us at the end of the day, uh, having completed our presentations at Lakeland University. And I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Aaron Han, who as uh, people who listen to the show will know very well. And uh, how do you think our presentation went today, Aaron?
8: I think it went pretty well. Um, we got to talk about the pilot program that we've been doing, pilot study that we've been doing on uh, corpus research, on uh, journal texts, specifically our pilots on abstracts, because um, we're trying to look at how does the field think about and therefore through words represent the way the global spread of English has occurred over the past several hundred years. Because there's a lot of different terminology used in this field, and sometimes some people really like to separate them, sometimes people like to say that they're interchangeable. And so, we're trying to get an understanding by looking at this really large collection of data of what the field kind of collectively thinks.
0: And so, as a general overview, what did we tell to the people of Lakeland today? What kind of conclusions have we found?
8: Well, of course, for one thing, our conclusions were limited because they are focused on a very specific limited set of data from one journal. Um, But what we found was that um, one positive note is that terms like native, EFL, ESL have been kind of decreasing. Uh, We see an increase in a lot of the other terminology related to global Englishes, like uh, world Englishes, Englishes in uh, lingua franca. Um, But what we're really trying to eventually tease out is how do these different terms uh, interplay um, with, uh, with reference, again, especially when we wanna to look to the wider field of, say, English language teaching as
0: well. So where do you think we're, we're gonna go from here? Well, like, what's, what's, the, what's the greater plan, the wider plan from here on in?
8: So the next step is to expand beyond just one journal and also to move beyond just abstracts to full articles. So we're currently building up a very, uh, ideally a multi-million word corpus of journal articles related to either English linguistics or English language teaching Uh, and then again to try and see this wider perspective uh, on these uh, types of concepts.
0: And now you and I are actually now in Hanada, um, we're now in Hanada airport and preparing to board a plane to go back to Fukuoka so uh, I'm assuming this was your first face-to-face presentation that you've done in quite a while?
8: Yes, yes. uh, Since, uh, I guess, 2019, I guess, that would have been the last one.
0: So, your thoughts? How did it go? Um, Are you looking forward to the next one?
8: It was actually quite good. Um, All the presentations I went were face-to-face. I didn't actually join any of the hybrid presentations like they had, although I heard some people speaking positively of them. Um, I like the idea, as in fact, um, uh, the interview you'd done with Dr. Lansot said, the idea that we could have... Uh, these hybrid conferences, both accepting and getting that face-to-face contact, but also including people from around the world. And it seemed like Lakeland was doing a good job of that.
0: So you think that uh, going forward, like the new normal will be this kind of hybrid, uh, one room will be a Zoom presentation, one will be face-to-face, so everyone has that kind of option? I don't know if it will, I certainly would hope it
8: would, um, because of the issues related to access, funding, uh, climate change and you know all those sorts of things, I would certainly like to see that continue, um, so that way we could get this mix of maybe local meetups with international contacts.
0: Hmm. Okay, well um, I, I look forward to, and also given the fact that I'm participating <laughs> in, I, I, I look forward to seeing what we can do with this research and also um, trying to get back to uh, a a more normal situation as close to what we had back in 2019 than we've had so far. So thank you very much for your time today, Anna. Thank you. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend, and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.